1: Welcome to another episode of the Golden Blogs podcast, the Bearcast. We are back live-ish uh, via Skype here today, um, just because we didn't have the scheduling work out properly. Because I had a NBA fantasy draft last night, and which is Sunday, it's Monday now, and it just timing didn't work out. I love my team, by the way, so I'm I'm uh, I'm all right with it. Uh, but I'm Rob. I'm here with my co-host Andy. Andy, how you doing?
2: I'm um, doing okay. Living the life of the Cal optimist. What does that been. <laughs> and by the way, this episode is brought to you by the Booth Brewing. Follow your fun.
1: Uh, two things of housekeeping before we begin our talk on the UCLA. Disaster which happened on Saturday is uh, there's two current GoFundMe accounts for either a current uh Cal football player or a former Cal football player. Actually, current, current, yeah, current because he'll be joining the team come January. Uh, one's for for Chris Fatilua, who you know had would have been a, a freshman on this current team but had a a terrible injury uh accident and um, had spine it was a spinal injury and you know doctors told him that he might not be able to walk again but he man he he totally proved them wrong um he's walking he's fine he was honored actually at the UCLA game he was here during the Oregon game as well uh, and he 's gonna be joining the team come January and enrolling in classes so but there is a GoFundMe for him uh just to support like his ongoing uh i think physical rehab stuff um so if you want to help help the kid uh check out the website Andy also has one that he just posted i think earlier this earlier last week uh so yep. i 'll let him talk about that one well, quick tidbit on
2: Chris Chris was in the press box for the u c l a game and like walking around and talking to a couple members of the press. And I was lucky enough to be one of those people. And he's just genuinely like, he's a very strong guy like in the sense like he lost his mom early and was talking about how that was actually harder than doctors telling him that he wasn't gonna be able to walk again. And he just looks great. So it's really exciting. uh, But you know, the journey's not over and uh, please donate to that. So good call bringing that up. And then the second one is a uh, uh, slightly more personal. John Tyndall was a fullback for the Cal football team when I was working with the team, and I actually knew John as a freshman, living in Clark Kerr together. Um, he's about as good as they come. So he was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, the journey is beginning. He's super strong, as everybody knows, and uh, is going to go into this battle with a full head of steam, but uh, you know needs a lot. In regards to medical resources and potential treatment plans, so if you know any donation is helpful, and uh, the whole family is super grateful to the Cal community as a whole, I know that, and uh, just um, yeah, appreciate any support that anyone can give. And if you can't, like, just keep them in your thoughts. And uh, as we all go through this thing called life, nothing is guaranteed, and uh, let's support our fellow Cal Bears.
1: Yeah, and with that. Um, We'll go on to the game that we all don't want to talk about um, is the UCLA game. Just for starters, uh, UCLA playing at Cal October, which was October 13th, by the way. Um, October 13th last year, I believe, is when we played Washington State and that Friday night game happened. So, hey, uh, weird things happened on on the 13th. But anyways, uh, Cal loses to UCLA on Homecoming Day, thirty-seven to seven. Cal was actually down thirteen at the half, and then we scored three. We scored seven in the third quarter, and UCLA scored seventeen in the fourth. And that's pretty much what did it. Um, UCLA had, I mean, statistically, uh, before I hand it off to Andy, and so he can give his his thoughts on the game. Cal UCLA both had both had. 21st downs um the Cal rushed for 131 UCLA rush for 207 passing wise Cal passed for 179 yards UCLA for 141 except um DTR 13 of 15 with no interceptions McIlwain 23 of 42 with two interceptions His average for DTR was 9.4 per attempt, whereas uh, for McElwain it was 4.3. The biggest thing was we just drives just could not be sustained. I think we had maybe one. We only got into their half of the field maybe twice or three times the entire game. Um, The offense just could not seem to get it going, other than maybe two full drives. Uh, just some statistical standpoint for us was Patrick Laird with 94 yards on 17 carries with a touchdown. Uh, Chris Brown uh, led the way as the backup with five carries and 21 yards. And then Brandon McWayne also rushed eight times for 31 yards and a loss of 19. So that includes his sacks as well. Uh, and in terms of receiving, uh, Jeremiah Hawkins led the team with 49 yards on four receptions. And then followed by Vic Wharton with 35 yards on five receptions and some defensive stats uh just to wrap it up is jordan kanasic uh 22 total tackles 14 solo eight assisted two tackles for a loss and one forced fumble and other than that there were no other defensive stalwarts so i hand it over to andy kanasic was incredible incredible
2: uh in that game on saturday so uh, my reaction to UCLA has been one of many different states I think as it was going on it was extremely painful um, you know this is a game that I thought we were capable of winning 45 to 7 uh, at, at one point in time as, as, as recently as five days ago and uh, to see our team just get totally outclassed on the field was a really bizarre experience um, it hurts doubly or like it hurts uh, twice as much twice as much because of the loss to Arizona as well um, as I've had more time to kind of like react sit on it and think about you know how a team that in my mind practices you know what we heard was that how well they practice and then we have a coaching staff that is more than capable of you know coaching up players and, and game planning and scheming against their opponents What I think happened were a number of things uh, I think that that Jerry Azanaro, who we saw up in the press box. Um, Coach Az had a really unique perspective on this team. He knows, you know, one of the comments I made is he got to see McElwain as the scout team quarterback for the entire season. Anytime we were going up against a dual threat quarterback. So he was extremely familiar with the skill set, both strengths and weaknesses of which we were like sending out on offense. Um, and you really saw that it just sort of felt like UCLA had a really good handle on, you know, where we're going to run or what they were trying to force us to do. Wilcox said as much, you know, with the they're trying to sack the box against us and force us to throw the ball. And guess what? McEwen can't hit like, can't hit a receiver within 15 yards. Like <laughs> so. Anyways, we're not together right now. So one, I thought Coach As deserves a lot of credit for the game plan that he prepared against this team. He forced us to do a lot of, you know. Uh, I guess like he forced us into an offense that they could easily kind of control. And then finally, when, you know, we went into a more interesting style, like of play design, we started to see some level of success. Like let's not discount Patrick Blair's success on the ground 17, I think for 94 yards, like he looked really good. And I thought the line played better um, from what I've seen in, in the last game. So there were some bright spots there. Uh, The other thing I thought that, was that Boss Tagaloa, who, you know, was a cow miss on the recruiting trail um, not that long ago, coming back and basically getting back on the offensive line, giving them the size advantage, and then Joshua Kelly, who's, you know, arisen and averaged 135 yards in the last three games against high-quality competition kind of the recipe for disaster for the defense you know we haven't been tested in that way we've i always thought defensive line was a big question in regards to size how can we compare against the bigger teams like this is our first bigger team that and they decided to run the football in like a power style you know very different from what we're used to seeing out of uh, chip kelly and i also was like hat tip to that uh, as a really good game plan so i've kind of come to the point where you know you all you're gonna have bad games. i tried to say this. Like in 2009, we had a team that had future Super Bowl champions, a bunch of NFL talent, and we scored three points against U- against USC and scored like either or zero, maybe zero points. I don't know. It was awful against USC and awful against Oregon. Uh, they might be better teams than what we saw in Berkeley, but we also don't really understand who UCLA is yet, given the really high caliber of competition they've played. So with that, I'll kind of end it. I feel like I've been talking forever. But, Rob, I'm very curious to get your thoughts.
1: I mean, the more and more I looked at it prep going into this game, I realized, oh, this could be a potential really big trap game. Um, I, I, I told you you know, off, off air when we were just talking about the game and stuff how UCLA's five losses and those five teams have a combined three losses. So it's not like they played crap teams and lost to crap teams. Um, and and for some of those games, like, they played that Washington game perfectly. And they just came out on the short end of the stick, in my opinion. Uh, they put up, what is it, like 24 on that Washington team. And there was, I mean, <clears throat> that alone just it gave me pause. Uh, gave me pause to say, like, uh, crap, like, this might... We might be overlooking them a little bit uh, just because of their record being 0-5. And I don't know if that happened with the players. Um, I don't think so. I don't think this coaching staff is ever going to let the team think that they can, like, just walk into a game and just walk out with a W. Um, But this definitely was – we talked about this last week where I asked you guys, you and um, our friend Peter, like – at what point will we see the defense maybe start to just not have the willpower to play really great just because they know that the offense can't score? And I felt like that it, that exploded in all our faces come the second half of this UCLA game. Because at halftime, you're down 13-0. doesn't look that bad. 13-0 is doable. The defense got some crazy good stops uh, in the first half. Then coming into the second half, we get... we. Marched down the field on arguably what was the greatest drive of our season. Uh, And then Patrick Laird scores on that one-yard punch-in. And then from there, the offense disappeared for the rest of the game. Um, And then no matter how many times the defense got stops, the offense seemed to turn the ball over, and they would just go on to score from there. Um, I mean... You look at Jordan Knossich's stats alone, right? He had 22 tackles in the game, which was his career high. And he's the f- – well, this is just a side note. Knossich is also the first Cal player to have at least 20 tackles in a game since Jarrett Williard had, won, had 22 against SC in 1993. So, holy crap. Record-setting day. But that's also not a good sign considering the fact that we, if he had to tackle <laughs> – 22 different ball carriers. Oh, my goodness. I mean, not 22 different ball carriers, but 22 times. That means they were, I mean, you. we saw it in the game, the the running lanes and just were just getting blown wide open. And, and then, of course, with DTR, too, who they just ran the zone read a bunch of times and he would just take off. And there's a bunch of times where he scrambled as well and we just couldn't keep up to him or get up to him. And, yeah, as you said, it it came down to our – I mean, it it came down to also at the Oregon – the same thing with the Oregon game. We can't play a three-man front and drop everyone in the coverage because our three-man front will not get pressure on the quarterback. The only way our defense is super effective is when we get at least one guy to disrupt the pocket from one side of the – one side of the pocket – and that allows our DBs to make plays off of quarterback hurries or just throws on the run. But because we let DTR sit there and, you know, pick apart our defense, same thing happened with uh, Herbert, but just not to that extent because Herbert is way better of a quarterback. And yeah, he just, he we forced him to do that and he showed that he could do that. I mean, there's a reason he was a highly touted quarterback coming out of um, high school, so he did exactly what he needed to do. We definitely didn't, and then we just imploded on ourselves come the fourth quarter, and my God, it was not pretty to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think
2: I agree with, agree with most of what you said. I think the one area I'd throw a little bit of a counter to is the idea that the guys on defense were you know, sort of fed up. I actually think that what happened... what what it looks like happened is that they started putting more pressure on themselves to play it to a higher level and make up for, Hey, okay, if we don't get a stop here or if our offense, you know, if we get a stop here, or like we really need to stop here because our offense needs to get the ball because they're not doing anything like something more along the lines that points to the offensive offenses, like inefficiencies and says, okay, I'm going to shoulder this load which in turn, you know, for maybe you go for ripping the ball out rather than wrapping a guy up. So I, saw, I thought I saw a little bit more of that, but I certainly didn't think I saw, saw anyone being fed up with it. Um, and, and the nice thing about this game in a really weird, ironic way is that the defense had, you know, a, quite a few things to work on. It's like the offense would go three and out or whatever and make some stupid mistake, and then the defense would let UCLA rattle off like a seven-minute drive. And so it just sort of, it didn't really feel like they were getting off the field all that fast. It would be one thing if it was like the other, early in the game, it was that case where we got the stops. We turned, gave the ball back to the offense, mistake, 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 you know, frustrating. But then at the end of the game, it was like, give the ball back to UCLA gets the ball. They drive for eight minutes. Then it comes back to Cal. And then the fourth quarter is like almost a wash. It's just like, okay, yes, we're going to give them a lot of points and turn the ball over and hooray, we're back to you know, Cal football in the last three weeks, and it's just abysmal to watch. Um, so that was sort of my, my thought. I just, it didn't come away, you know, it, it just sort of seems like one of those losses that we kind of, we ended up getting out game plan. We got out coached a little bit. Um, but as you and I said in the box, and I kind of want to talk about this a little bit, I had very few issues with a lot of the play calls. Um, and I know Nick talked about this in his article, like wanting more designed runs. It was literally something I tweeted. Is like I am shocked that we haven't run a single designed run with our rushing quarterback. But if it's true that the defense was showing an eight-person front and like stacking, or sorry, eight, not eight-person front, but eight in the box, and that's what the you know Baldwin is seeing from the box, then he's probably not going to call those plays because they have a very low likelihood of being successful. And the most successful running play we had from the quarterback position was because we hadn't run any of those, and it was right before the half was ending, and uh, McIlwain dropped back, and then it was like a delayed run. And it was really, really successful, because the defense was you know, keying on the fact that he was going to pass. So overall, as a game plan, despite it not necessarily working at all, I didn't really have that many issues with the play calls themselves. I actually just sort of felt like we don't have the players um, at times that, that kind of we need in order to, to play against teams like this. Like UCLA is bigger, they're more athletic. Oregon is bigger, they're more athletic. And so until we can kind of even out that battle a little bit, uh, it's going to be a lot harder for us to compete because like Vic Wharton had five catches, I remember one. You know, it's just like Jeremiah Hawkins had... Leading receiver on the team, like when? <laughs> I think you, know, you just didn't see these guys as open downfield making plays. Even Conover, like dropped the ball in that one of those possessions at the beginning of the game. It was absolutely devastating. Just like our, our best receiver in my mind of that game was Bunting. I thought I saw Bunting more than anybody else, and that's just you know. It's not a good sign for us.
1: Yeah, I think the one thing we also do have to talk about is we're talking about the quarterbacks because that's pretty much what's what's hindering this offense. I mean, there's there's a lot of issues, but the inconsistency at the quarterback position has definitely forced our offense to either be dumbed down to a very, very basic read option offense or something that we try to go a little bit more and it doesn't work, or we just have to use as many trick plays as we possibly can find. Um, And so, I mean, word came out earlier last week about uh, Ross Bowers potentially being injured. Right. From some random Twitter account. Finally, finally. Um, And then on game day, uh, Rusty Simmons with, the Chronicle tweeted out that he confirmed that Ross Bowers does indeed have an injury. There's no timeline of this injury whatsoever. That's all. all it sounds like all that he can confirm is that Ross is actually injured. So we go back to week one. Like it, Ross plays that first quarter, and and now everything sta- starts to m- make. But it looks like it's starting to make sense. Right. You maybe if let's say Ross was either hurt during that game or before that game. Right. You put him out there. You see if he can do it. He just can't can't, you know, can't throw the ball properly. Can't just whatever injury it is. He just can't get it done. So then you go, you scramble with these two quarterbacks and you try to do whatever you possibly can to figure out which quarterback (laughs) You want to roll with, but because you haven't given those two guys enough snaps in practice and fall camp. Now you're trying to play catch up with them through game planning weeks. And that has, that leads to trying to decide who the better quarterback is via in-game play sets. And that has led us to where we are now. So the question I have for you is what, what scares you more? The fact that we relied on Bowers pretty much to be the starting quarterback and have that set or the inability to coach these guys up to be, for there to be a, a decent enough backup that can make this offense at least go forward? Am I allowed to say both? Yeah, you're I, allowed to say both.
2: I don't know if... It concerns me that much about like, you know, leading with Ross. I think what I heard from the guys that I trust the most, which is, you know, those who are attending spring ball and going to camp was that he'd come in and, you know, had a ton of enthusiasm and understood the playbook better than the year before and just was like taking shape as a leader of the offense. And so I don't necessarily know, like, I don't really have any fault with with him coming out being entrusted to lead the team. Um, I do definitely have issues with the fact that I don't think McIlwain seems to be improving at all. Um, you know, this, the offense we saw on Saturday was an extremely dumbed down passing game. You know, he had to make very simple throws, uh, mistake-free football. And then, but then when he tried to go deep, like he can't, he can't hit, hit anyone on the deep ball. Like he misses guys by fifteen yards. He doesn't miss them by like five or like, oh, that was a close pass just overthrown. We used to get mad at Ross for overthrowing guys by a yard or two. This dude overthrows people by 15, 20 yards, and and then the defense just doesn't respect it. And so, I, I, to me, it's like it's wild because you look at McLean as a recruit and he's a four-star guy, so what exactly, like, you would expect a little bit more progression, I think, coming from having a full year under your belt on the scout team to where where we are today, as well as, like, having multiple starts this year. So, and then furthermore, to add on top of this, the Garber stuff is really weird. I wasn't really all that big of a Garber fan, because my biggest issue with Garber's was that I didn't think he was better than Bowers. (laughs) So... That was like my biggest gripe was like everyone. Oh, garbage, garbage, garbage. I like, I don't really see what he gave us that, you know, a second year Ross Bowers couldn't have given us, if not more. Well, in comparison to the two between McElwain and Garbers right now, I'm like fully now swung back to the Garbers camp and saying, let's just play the guy that, you know, might throw one pick a game <laughs> and can throw the ball downfield, can spin it pretty well. That Jordan Duncan touchdown, against idaho state stands out in my mind um and just you know and he has a little bit of speed and then use McElwain as we were at the beginning which is in speed sets or like running running situations but i'm totally lost with this entire quarterback situation it is the knife or sword to fall on for the entire coaching staff that focuses on that side of the football as well as wilcox
1: yeah so the thing for me is that like i mean the it goes back to that aspect of how much we depended on Russ, right? And I'm not I'm not saying that's a bad thing either, because I truly believe he would have taken that next step up this year just based on what I saw all throughout Fall Camp. But the thing that scares me is that the coaches the coaching staff basically didn't have a number two ready and whoever the number two was had no grasp of the offense Ross was going to run this season. Like there it's from what I've seen in practice and what the, what they did offensively with Ross is drastically different with what they're doing with Garbers or with McIlwain. So if that's the case, then either they're underprepared or they just did not develop them enough. And if it's a combination of both of that, that's I don't I don't know what to think, because that means you're totally reliant upon your starting quarterback. And that's it. Like, is it does this mean we're going to have to do this every time we get a new starting quarterback? Like <laughs> the, the inability to groom guys uh, behind him that knows how to work the offensive system. And we're going to have to constantly mold that to the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. Of course, you do have to make some changes depending on on skill sets that you have. But. I mean this is just from a play calling and and that type of standpoint this is a drastic dumbed down version of what we saw all of last year which was a great offense I mean there were there were times where the offense looked like hey if we get the right people in the right spots this could be a really really dynamic offense but we've seen none of that this year at all Yeah
2: I think to it yeah, I'm with you. I think that the I wouldn't go as far as saying the expectation for the backup is to come in and be as successful as the starter, or to have the same grip on the on a playbook or be able to run the system the same exact way as the starter. It's why you see teams that are good, you know, when the starter goes down, become bad. You know, it's like those are. It's just one of those things where when you lose the starting quarterback, like if Oregon lost Herbert, his replacement would. You know, probably their entire season outlook would look very different than it is today. But I also agree that when you lose your starting quarterback or whether or not we did even lose him is still a question that exists. It shouldn't go to like the fourth worst offense in the country in regards to SP and p Plus. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is where it's like, yeah, you'd expect a reasonable drop. So let's say we were at 80. Maybe we dropped to 100 or something like that um, but it's, it's just been this almost like a collapse and that is the thing that is so wild with it it's, it just doesn't seem like whatever is happening over there is like, the only thing that gives me hope is the 49ers game tonight <laughs> the only thing. it's like if CJ uh, Beathard can do that then why can't you know some form of Garbers map away.
1: All right, so let's, let's kind of move on from the, from the UCLA game and look forward, because this is the halfway mark for our season, right? So let's, let's look forward to the rest of the season. Does, has your outlook on the season changed after what we've seen so far?
2: Yeah, it has. It finally has. You know, it hadn't for a while, but it's changed. I don't, there's no way I see us getting to eight wins. And I was a big believer in us getting eight wins this year. So I've had to adjust. I still think six wins is possible. I still think bowl game is possible. Uh, it's going to be really hard. Uh, but I look at Oregon state, like having just written the preview, you know, they have Jer- uh, Jamar Jefferson at running back, who's probably going to win the PAC 12 freshman of the year award. Um, who's incredible, but, I'm not that worried about our defense going up a team against a team that has a ton of screen plays and misdirections. I think our defense is really well coached and can adapt to that. And we've seen what, you know, a Cal defense can do against a Washington State offense. So, uh, and I do think that this is the perfect matchup for the Cal offense to come into. I mean, UCLA could, could very well have been very underrated. And then to have them you know to be cal and then go to oregon state on the road that's 124th in s&p plus on defense like what a perfect time to get you know that uh but i write the offensive preview so i didn't get to talk about any of that stuff i guess you have to talk about how oregon state's offense is sneaky good and uh they rank in you know, about the middle of the country overall and uh, their running game is in you know top almost the top quarter of the country and Uh, there's definitely things to watch out for and it's not a gimme win that we might've thought it was, but I still think that we can win this game. And then I think I I said this today, I've said it before. I think the Washington game at home is, is one that might surprise people. Uh, And don't forget, like we beat Washington state last year and we beat them with arguably a better quarterback. So uh, it's not out of the realm of possibilities for us to get six wins. I don't think this season's a
1: tire fire. I don't think that the world is ending with Cal football. What about you? Uh, I mean, my, uh, my outlook on the season definitely changed just like you. I mean, the ceiling for me was eight wins, but it's, the ceiling now looks like it, it's probably at six. Um, so with that in mind, I will say this. If we somehow miraculously, um, the football gods bless us and Ross Bowers comes back, let's say next week or the week after, then I I'm still going to say we get to eight wins because I am a firm believer that he can right the ship of this offense and then because what if he comes back and he's able to play granted of course he needs to get some rust off but if he does I think Bo Baldwin's play calling becomes very much more like what we saw last year and everyone becomes a lot more effective and so we're going we're going with that but it's all dependent on whether he can come back or not because I mean let's let's be real I just I don't trust any of the quarterbacks we have that are playing right now to to get us out of this rut to like to to somehow all of a sudden just everything starts clicking um this week at Oregon State and it just we just come out and go oh okay so we just needed a couple games to just uh <coughs> get our feet back under us yeah it doesn't look like that's going to happen, but I think that Ross Bowers might be the guy that's able to do that if he were to come back.
2: I love that. What an amazing, like, that would just be the most perplexing. I mean, I never would have thought <laughs> <laughs> Bowers would come riding in on his horse with, you know, be the knight in shining armor right the season for Cal
1: football. Yeah. <laughs> Bowers is going to be Gandalf in the Twin Towers. Like when he's riding down with all the all the Rohirrim down the with the light, you know, shining to destroy the Orcs. Like that's, that's who Ross Bowers is. He's our Gandalf. We need to come back. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just there's so many questions regarding like how they've handled a lot of this, like especially with the injuries and all that. And the timing of them confirming Ross's injury, too for me, seems suspiciously like just a perfect PR timing to just be like, oh, yeah, he's injured. And then so the other teams aren't worrying about him at all. And then all of a sudden he's on the field as the starting quarterback. Like I feel I just it feels like that type of thing, knowing how this staff has operated so far. I wouldn't put that out of them to be like, oh, he's he's OK now. All right. Let's say he's injured. And then he's going to start in, the, in that first week like they've been so good with gamesmanship that I think this could also be one of those things.
2: Yeah, that'd be really interesting. I mean from what we know, it's a thumb injury and it's broken so it probably needs on the throwing hand, probably needs 4 to 6 weeks at least to recover.
1: Well, which so- is rumored. Like we haven't that's just the guy who tweeted who said that the thumb it's a thumb injury and he heard it from Ross's dad. Like none of us has been able to confirm that nor will we ever be able to confirm that cuz the coaching staff and cal football just doesn't talk about injuries uh i thought the thumb part was included in the tweet no it it was uh rusty just tweeted saying that he can he can confirm that ross is injured that's all it said so we don't know what the injury is if what if he's acknowledging that the tweets are true um no idea Yeah.
2: I'm reading the full thing now. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like everything kind of makes sense. The whole story makes a lot more sense. If you've been following the Ross Bauer story within that, you know, the, the lucky side of us, I guess with it would be that, you know, he ended up injuring it and it's already that much further
1: to being healed, but I probably wouldn't expect him to be back yeah Yeah. and this also helps us kind of understand all of this right like you know how we were just just debating like did he really i mean because most of us saw ross bowers take all the first team snaps through two weeks of camp and then now when the first game of the when unc game came, came along and they were like oh yeah everyone's gonna get a chance to play like everyone was just thinking like did he really regress that much in just a week span or did Garbers or McIlwain come along that much Uh, but clearly it wasn't either of those it was that Ross was injured and they had to somehow get another quarterback ready Uh, so now everything sounds right like Ross actually did improve but he got injured and because of that he wasn't able to play it makes so much more sense so let's talk about a little bit on the bright side. Okay. Defense. 12th
2: in defensive S&P plus. And in 2018 Pac-12 football, the percentage of opponent possessions results in points. Cal is first,
1: 15.3. That's, I mean. I feel like the defense is bad. I'm like having a hard time with it. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge jump, right? I mean, the, never did we think... I mean, let's look at this, look at this roster alone. Like, we've talked about... The, I've talked about this a bunch of times. Most of the guys that are on this roster that are performing and are the stalwarts of this defense were recruits under Sonny. Like, they, they weren't recruited by, by Wilcox and this defensive staff. Yeah. So the amount, of, the amount of coaching up that they've done with these guys is incredible over just a what is it he got hired last January right so yeah it's, it's been just, just about to hit two years a little less than two years that's incredible for a defense to jump that much with the same amount of talent
2: yeah
1: yeah it's incredible it's an
2: amazing turnaround um, guess who is the worst the worst S P? No the, the worst in regards to the percentage of opponent possessions that result in points.
1: Oh god. UCLA?
2: OSU. Forty-five point six percent. Forty-five percent of opponent possessions turn into points. And that
1: is why I think we're gonna win on Saturday. Alright, let me give you let me give you another one. Alright? Pro Football Focus for college does a uh, team of the week for all of the most of the Power 5 conferences. Guess how many combined players Cal had for the defense and the offense. 2 3 Ah. Guess how many were on defense. 2 0 all three were on the offensive side. It was Patrick McCary, Valentino Daltoso, and Addison Ooms. Oh nice. I was telling the line played well. I the line played well this game. I mm-hmm. thought
2: I had no issues with dude. How many did how many sacks were? We had one with a sack fumble.
1: We gave up two sacks. Yeah. That's great. We have two sacks and seven tackles for loss. We are playing time to pass. We just can't pass. Like yeah. nothing really can't
2: <laughs> can't hit a guy 10 yards down the field. It's, it's unbelievable how inaccurate it is. Even when he hits the guy, the ball is in the wrong spot. The best thing about watching Jared Goff play, the best thing about watching Andrew Luck play in college, was that every single ball hit the guy in stride, uh, right kind of at that perfect junction between the numbers and the, the helmet. Like you can look it right into your chest. And the thing with McIlwain is like I see it. You know, on an open pass on a slant over the middle, it's like Noah having to reach behind him to grab it. Or it's like at the the legs or it's too high, you know, and that like, you know, leads to either a pick or, you know, stuff like that. So the problem, it's just like the accuracy. I seriously would just move to Garbers and just go with someone who's a little more accurate. Like, look at Oregon State. Um, Connor Blount is their quarterback. He throws for 150 yards a game and his stat lines are like, 20 of 25 or like 15 of 20, you know, it's like highly efficient, 60% completion percentage, seven touchdowns, one interception, just mistake free football. And then they figure out how to be successful at the run game. I feel like that is exactly what Cal needs to be doing. Like solve the quarterback side so that it's minimalistic and we can make that those one or two plays when they're open and then invest into the running game and use dancy and use chris brown who looked really good last week and and use patrick Blair as a way of of turning this thing around because this is the week to do it uh and there's other teams out there defenses that we can you know be successful with look at washington state gave up 37 or something ridiculous to oregon state like there's opportunities out there
1: yeah i think i think we're going to see a quarterback change uh this week going to oregon state i don't I just, knowing Wilcox and this staff, like, they're not going to just sit there and watch McIlwain fumble the ball away, throw the ball away to the other team this many times over a three-week span and not and not give Chase Garber's a, here's a road game, you're playing the full game. Like, you, you've done that with McIlwain, what, three games in a row now? At this point... Like you have to give Garbers a chance to do the same as well. I mean, we've we've talked about this all of last all the last like or well, the first three weeks was that we needed to give our quarterbacks consistency. Like, don't take them out mid drive. Give them full drives for them to gain some rhythm and, and gain some understanding of, of who they're playing against and and just like that. Because there's a lot of things you glean off of tape, but there's a lot more things you glean off of actually playing those opponents across the line of scrimmage from you. So I do feel like we'll see that change and we'll see Garber start and we'll see him play a full game regardless of what happens.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I'd still like to see McElwain come in and running through, in run situations. <laughs> and I know it's silly to say it because we were just absolutely disp- I despised it as it was happening. But, you know, for some reason, I just look at that BYU game and just say, just do that just do that. Like make that your formula for success and execute it against the last few teams and see if you can win 50% of the games. And if you do, you go to a bowl game, you know, like for me, that's, that's kind of like what I'm looking at and, and hoping for, but
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've said it all along and we'll, I guess we'll end it with, with that is that we've both of us agree this defense alone will keep us in games. Um, it does. It's not necessarily that they'll keep us in games the entire game. Because at some point, the defense is going to tire out too, right? But they'll keep us in games, you know, either till halftime or maybe to the third quarter. And if our offense can somewhat gain them a cushion by that point, I think we we win those games handily. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just our offense has not been able to even give them a touchdown cushion. So. I
2: agree.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I feel like we just ranted for, like, 40 minutes or so. Yeah, there was some format to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have your article going up on Wednesday. Um, I got a bunch of things going up this week, too, regarding some basketball stuff. And also, with basketball season's right around the corner, That's it's yay-ish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. w- we will see w- what happens there. Uh, but, yeah, basketball season around the corner. The NBA starts today if you're listening on Tuesday. So um, it's it's a good time. I love this time of year. Um, it just sucks that we're not winning. Uh, but, I mean, there's just so many things to do and watch now. Uh, but, yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for us. Any other closing thoughts, Andy? No, I think we covered it all. Sweet. Sweet. onto awesome. On to a victory pod next week. Please, after Oregon State, I'm, I really do want to crack open a beer in happiness and not have to open hard liquor in sadness. Back to the booth beers. Come on. There's still a bunch in my fridge, so we can drink that on Sunday. Come record time. Uh, but, yeah, that wraps it up for us. And, as always, go Bears. Go Bears.